Hey guys, and welcome to episode 162 of SwiftCast. This is Adam. Ashley. Steph. And Ashley. And we have a great episode coming up for you guys. In our main discussion, we will be talking about an article from Billboard that is all about the last 10 years of Taylor's career, because it has been 10 years from July 1st of 2006 that Taylor's first single, Tim McGraw, was released. So stay tuned to listen to that. But to get started on this episode, I wanted to ask one of our other hosts, Ashley, about a concert she attended the other night that very well might be the biggest summer concert of this year. So Ashley, what did you go see? So I saw Adele. It was very unexpected. I was not planning on seeing her. We actually won tickets through the radio. So I was like, why not go? You know, I was interested because there have been a lot of comparisons in the music industry between them. And I wanted to see what kind of show Adele would put on. And obviously her album sold very well. And she was playing three back-to-back sold-out shows here in Chicago, which is impressive. So I figured why not go and see what her show is like. So how does it compare? And I'm betting it's not comparable, but how does it compare to a Taylor show? Well, I guess the main difference is that at an Adele show, the only focus is on her vocals. So the show is about two and a half hours. She sang 18 songs. She never left the stage for costume change of any kind or scenery change. She was just on stage the entire time. But in the ways that they're similar, she did have a B stage, so she was able to get closer to more of the crowd. And she did spend a lot of time, even I think more time than Taylor, talking to the crowd in between songs. Interesting. It's interesting that she doesn't change at all, and that it's two and a half hours. Yeah, she, as far as scenery, the only thing she really had was a video screen to add some effects, but I think she really, it wasn't even just that she told the story of each song, which she did do that, but she just told a lot of anecdotes from her daily life and joked around with the crowd, and I think really did a good job of even though it was in a large arena, making people feel like they had an intimate concert experience with her. And I think it takes a lot of effort to do that. So how did she get from the main stage to the B stage? Well, it was interesting because she actually, when the show first started, appeared on the B stage instead of starting on the main stage. Oh. So she came up from the floor. Both stages had a lift coming up similar to how Taylor comes up from the floor on her stage. So she came up on the B stage. She sang half of Hello, which was her first song. And then she actually walked through the crowd, just how like Taylor used to do on the Speak Now tour. Cool. So did she stop and high five or hug any fans or anything like that? Or was it more just walking up to the front? Um, she. I think she grabbed a few hands It was hard to tell because we were high up. I couldn't tell if they had a barrier to actually keep fans away from the aisle or if it was just the security that cleared it. But people were pretty tame, I guess, while she was walking. And that also made me think there's a couple of reasons why I feel like even though she sold a lot of albums, in a way, she's not as big as Taylor. And one was that because when you get to Taylor's level, you're so big that you can't walk through a crowd. And I think that the fact that Adele can just shows that not that the fans aren't as passionate but you know it's just a different fan relationship i guess 
And what was the audience like compared to Taylor shows like age wise, gender wise, um, activity wise, if they were singing or just watching and how did that go? I definitely don't think I've that I can remember ever been at another show where there were so many middle aged and up adults that weren't just parents taking their kids. I mean, there were a lot of people my age and there were some younger people, but it was a lot of people like our parents' age. And nobody really stood up during the show. They did at the end because she encouraged people to, but people were definitely engaged in the show, but still from sitting down. Okay. Yeah, sounds very different from Taylor's show. Didn't you mention at one point that she had fans come up on stage and take, like, selfies? She did, and I think that that's one of the ways that she tried to keep elements of surprise and excitement in her show. As far as I know, she doesn't do any sort of meet and greets. I don't think you can buy meet and greets. I don't think she does a lot of contests even for them. So what she did do was pick random people out from the crowd herself that she would point to. So they were obviously people with really good seats, but she invited over the course of the two and a half hour show at least six different people up on stage to meet her or to sing with her and take selfies with her. Definitely not something you can do to Taylor's show nowadays. Well, I think it's very brave and trusting of her to do that because even knowing people have gone through security before they came in the venue, you just never know what it's going to be like when you pull someone up there. I guess in a way it probably is nice to be able to just sit down and enjoy the music without having to worry about people blocking your view and yeah definitely and she did i would say do mostly her hits there were a few songs that i didn't know but just being a casual listener of hers i knew almost every song so i think we were talking about that last week how most other artists only do their hits and i think that's true with her show right well and it's also an interesting dynamic because this would be really her international tour dates because she's from the UK. Exactly. And she was actually talking about how it's very difficult for artists who start out in the UK to get popular in the States. And she said that it's because I guess in the UK, as she described it, they have a national radio station. And if you're an artist and if your song gets popular, it can be like blasted out on this national station. And then you get a lot of exposure very quickly. And We don't really have that here. Every city has its own. Oh, interesting. So she said that this was the biggest tour in the States so far that she's done. And she did three shows in an arena. So I guess probably played to less people than when Taylor comes and does the stadium. But it was definitely a milestone for her. Well, it sounds interesting. It sounds like something people should experience. I didn't get the chance to buy tickets to any of her shows. I probably would not have bought the tickets, and I didn't. Obviously, we won them, but it's hard for me to say if I would go back and see her again. I'll have to see what new music she comes out with in the future and when she tours again, because she also mentioned that she finds it very necessary, especially now that she is a mom, to take long breaks in between her career. So it was an interesting experience. I feel like I should be like writing a book for Taylor about all the adventures I've had when she's not on tour. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta do something. Well, thank you for that recap, Ashley, and I'm glad you had a good time. But let's move into our regular segment of looking back at Taylor's older tweets. The first one is from five years ago. 
July 7th, 2011. Yeah, there are all sorts of fun things to do while sick and on vocal rest, like sitting here popping bubble wrap by myself. Hashtag wish I was on tour. And this is from, as we mentioned last week, when she got sick during the Speak Now tour and had to postpone some shows. And the next one is from July 2nd of 2012. This is an exciting one. Taylor tweeted, Just had the honor of performing with James Taylor to a sold-out crowd in Massachusetts. We sang Fire and Rain, Ours, and Love Story. Pictures and videos soon. I wish they would perform together again. Hopefully. I think it will happen one day. Our next one is from July 6th of 2013. Taylor tweeted, Just landed in my home state. Pittsburgh, see you later on. I'll be the one in the sparkly red shoes singing about my feelings. I remember people criticized Taylor about this tweet because they thought she was saying that Pittsburgh is a state, but she clearly put a dash after my home state before she said Pittsburgh. So I remember being upset because it was clear in the tweet that she was just saying she was in her home state and she would be in Pittsburgh later. People love to criticize, don't they? They do, about the dumbest things. Yeah, even the smallest things. Well, the next one I did not remember, but it's really funny when I looked it up. It's from July 6th, 2014, and Taylor wrote, When the 4th of July gives you nonstop rain, make a giant slip and slide. And it was an Instagram post of a hilarious picture of Taylor going down the hill on an inflatable turtle, and she has a hilarious expression on her face. And she's still having really great parties. This time she had a huge slide for the 4th of July. Yeah, this year she upgraded because this was just a kind of an artificial made-up slip and slide from 2014, but this year it was a giant slide. And our last one is from last year, July 6th, 2015. The Blank Space video just became the fastest to hit 1 billion views on Vivo, and Bad Blood is number one at Pop Radio for a third week. Thanks, guys. And I believe that Bad Blood is almost at a billion views now. I think it's at around 930 million. So go watch it on Vivo. Hopefully we can get it to a billion very soon. Well, there hasn't been a whole lot of news this past week, but there are a couple items that we will touch on, and Steph will get us started with the first news item in Keeping Up With Swift. Last week, Taylor and Tom were spotted leaving Rhode Island after the 4th of July party, and then they were spotted in LA at LAX, and so there was a lot of speculation that they were heading to Australia. And many hours later, after that long flight, Taylor and Tom did land in Australia, and Tom is actually about to begin filming a movie there. And it's been craziness. The Australian news outlets are very excited that Taylor's in town. And they've been spotted out and about throughout the week. And it just seems like people are very excited to see Taylor again. She hasn't been there since December. And our next piece of news, Forbes has listed Taylor as the highest paid celebrity of the year. Not surprising. And what I found astonishing about this was that she more than doubled her total income from the last year. Scott must be proud of her. His investment skills and financial skills are paying off. I think a big factor is probably all the stadium tours. Because a lot of the stadium tours happened during that time period. 
Yeah, and it was more stadium shows than she's ever done in any previous years. Yeah, I think that for some stadium shows, I think she would clear over a million a night. When you do consecutive nights, that adds up. Oh, I think even more than that. I think the the revenue on some of those shows was in the multiple millions. Right, I'm sure places like Australia, those probably had huge numbers. Yeah, I just went to look up real quick and places like... MetLife Stadium was two nights, a total of 13 million. Soldier Field in Chicago, two night total of 11.5 million. Gillette Stadium in Foxborough was a two night total of 12.5 million. So, yeah, those stadium shows compared to the arena shows were huge moneymakers. I was pretty sad because my Facebook time hop reminded me today that this day last year I was at MetLife with Stop Seeing Taylor. Can't believe a year's flown by since that show. Yeah, I can't believe it either. That really flew by. And our last piece of news for today is that Taylor's song, Welcome to New York, is featured in the new movie called The Secret Life of Pets. I plan on seeing it, and I'm very excited. I was planning on seeing it anyway, but hearing that just made me more excited. I think I read online, is it the full song, or is the full song in the credits, or... I think it's the full song in the movie. I think it's the full song right at the opening. Okay, cool. Well, as Steph mentioned, Taylor has been in Australia, and there are a couple of fashion items that we have from this week from her Australian adventures. Our first one is when she was arriving at LAX with Tom when they were boarding their flight to Australia on July 6th in LA. She had with her the Louis Vuitton Cruiser Bag Monogram PM, $2,660. She had for shoes Volatile Dixieland Flat Wingtip Oxfords, which are sold out. Her sweater was the Fred Perry Super Gilan Melange Half Zip. It's sold out, but there's a similar one available for $172. And under the sweater, she actually had a dress, which was the Reformation Bellamy dress in lion for $198. And then on July 10th, Taylor was spotted leaving the Jamelli restaurant in the Gold Coast in Australia with Tom. And she was wearing a dress by Aritzia, which is called the Tallulah Moxon dress in black, white cap, gray. It was $175. It's now on sale for $59.99. And with the dress, she wore Ray Libby heels in tan, which are $215. And she carried an Urban Outfitters small canvas and leather shoulder bag, which is no longer available. As always, thank you to Tay Swift Style for the updates on Taylor's fashion. And if you would like to see more information and pictures of these outfits, you can visit the website at tayswiftstyle.com. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, today we are going to discuss an article from Billboard that is all about the last 10 years of Taylor, since it is her 10-year anniversary of her first song being on the charts. And this article from Billboard is titled Love Story, The Impact of Taylor Swift's First Decade in Music, and it is from July 7th, and the author's name is Tom Rowland. And right at the beginning, one of the quotes that I really like, and I didn't know this before, I don't know if any of you did, 
But the author says he's talking about how Tim McGraw hit the Hot Country Songs chart at number 60 on July 1st, 2006. And I guess on the charts, they give a little synopsis of the song. And the synopsis for Tim McGraw was the following. Singer gets first national chart Inc. exclusively in Billboard. Song title, name checks, fellow artist. And I just thought that was funny because obviously at that time, you know, it was her first song and we were like, who's this new artist who is using Tim McGraw as the name of her song? It is funny in hindsight to look at that synopsis. Nobody knew what was coming. And I like the part where the author talks about what made Taylor so special when she made her debut because the author explains that she was defying basic tenets while she was making her way. And the reason why Taylor was defying the kind of standard is because she wrote her own songs and was really putting herself into a format that was viewed as a place where adults sang grown-up songs. The country music genre didn't have that much of a young demographic at the time when Taylor hit the radio, and the author explains that Taylor really became a bonding element for teenage girls and their mothers as well, and then she quickly became a star, and I think throughout the years, the demographic of listeners really changed during that time. And the author even says that the country landscape today is much different, thanks in part to Taylor and her insistence on following a game plan that many considered unorthodox. Yeah, I know I always thought, you know, before Taylor, that a lot of country artists were majority, you know, older in age and geared more towards, like, you know, my parents' age at that time. I think so. The author actually gives some data in support and says that during that time, country radio had a 25 to 54 demographic as its target audience, but it was generally skewed toward the 35 plus segment. And country radio always wanted to lower that age, but just never really was able to achieve that until Taylor came about. When I think back on before Taylor, the only at least female country artists I can think of who were young when they started are Carrie Underwood and before that, Leanne Rimes. Right. I feel like all of the other popular artists, Shania Twain, Faith Hill, Reba, Martina, they're all, like Ashley said, our parents' age. So, and especially when we didn't really have social media back then, which this article actually talks about too. There was no real connection between these older artists and the younger fans. And I think the way Taylor was able to bridge that gap is because she writes her own songs. And people were able to relate to her because she was writing her own songs. A director of program of Nash Network actually said... Taylor introduced a new age group to this format because of her sound and because of her writing. She wrote for that specific age and was the first one to ever do that. And that's because, like Ashley said, a lot of the very famous female country artists were older. Even when Faith Hill and Shania Twain started, they weren't teenagers writing songs like Taylor was. 
And to go along with that theme of writing for a younger audience, she was obviously very smart in her game plan of how to attract a great audience. And like we mentioned, social media was one of the ways that she got a huge following. She actually established a MySpace page on August 31st, 2005. So a little less than a year before that single, Tim McGraw, even hit the charts. And through all of her interactions through MySpace, she amassed more than 45 million streams through the site. Well, this was something I never knew. It says that Scott Bruschetta, the head of Big Machine Label Group, actually used that data that Adam just mentioned, the 45 million streams, to prove to the radio stations that Taylor had a large audience and that her music should be played on the radio. Did any of you know that? No, I didn't. And I found it interesting, too, because I'm guessing at that time, 10 years ago, if somebody went to a radio station and said that this artist had a big MySpace following, it probably wouldn't have turned many heads because social media at that time was very much in its early stages. And you think of now, you know, if somebody amasses lots of Twitter followers or Instagram followers, they're thought of as a celebrity or famous or they're doing well. But it was just really interesting that Scott used that to pitch radio stations that Taylor was an up-and-coming star. So not only did Taylor just amass all those streams and people listening to her music on social media, but the way she engaged her fans on social media really put her over the top. She wrote comments to people on MySpace, and she talked to her fans, and she really let them into her life. She wrote all those posts and blogs on MySpace about what she was doing. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that was kind of unprecedented that somebody would let you into their life like that. Yeah, I definitely think it was. I think Taylor spearheaded the movement for artists to really connect with their fans. And she continues to do that today, which is why we love her, because she's more connected with her fans than any other artist out there. And people just try to follow her lead, but they often just don't do quite as good of a job. I think probably because Taylor is just so genuinely interested in connecting with the fans and wants to have a relationship with the fans. And now when a new artist comes out, it's not nearly enough for them to just release the music or release a video on YouTube. Fans are expecting constant interaction, replying to their tweets, liking their photos, doing live streams where they can interact and ask you questions. And if now, if you don't do that, you don't even really have a chance of getting started as a new artist. That's very true, because I think with social media, and we've talked before about Spotify, there's just a flood of new music and new artists out there. It's very difficult to get attention when there are so many other competitors. Yeah, I know like when Taylor used to do her vlogs and everything, when she put those out, you know, that'd be something everybody would look forward to just to see, you know, what she's doing on a daily basis or, you know, what she's doing during tour and that sort of thing. And like you were saying, stuff, you know, she like had that connection with her fans and everything. And even nowadays, 
I don't really see very many artists doing, you know, any sort of vlog like that to kind of have that same connection. You know, what are you doing on a daily basis or anything like that? Well, yeah. And I think that Taylor just adapts herself to whatever social media is in use at the time. The perfect example is when MySpace pretty much faded away, she eventually migrated over to Tumblr and interacted with fans through Tumblr and Instagram. And of course, with the secret sessions and Taylor's process for meet and greets, it's something that no other artist does. Well, and I think too, with a lot of artists, a majority of them might view it as something that they know they have to do just to check a box of promoting themselves. But for a lot of them, I don't know how much they genuinely want to do it. And I think fans respond to that. Exactly. I think so, too. I think that's what makes Taylor's different. Other artists will try to follow Taylor's lead, but Taylor just sets the bar so high that a lot of people can't reach it. Another point that the article brings up, which is really interesting given what I was just talking about from when I went to the Adele concert, is that now a big difference from when Taylor started is that at many arena shows, they have a much more elaborate stage. And the article notes that in the past, people like Kenny Chesney, Brad Paisley, Shania, and Reba had big production elements in their shows, but a lot of other people didn't. And now... That's been becoming more and more of the norm because fans expect more. I like the quote that says, Taylor created an experience. She definitely has had an influence on what a live show looks like. And we actually talked about this last week on episode 161, just about how different Taylor's shows are from other artists. And I think it's because Taylor, after she writes a song, determines how she's going to have her audience view this song live and it goes the whole way back to the fearless tour when she was figuring out how to design the sets and how to make each song come to life in its own way and i think that it's important to note that now there are a few rare exceptions of artists where their music stands out so much that they can skip all of this and I honestly think if Taylor really wanted to, and we've all said this before, if she wanted to just stand on a stage in one outfit for the whole time, we would go to just as many shows and be happy with that because her songs are so special. But Ed Sheeran, you know, I don't think he's ever going to do big production shows. Agreed. He doesn't need to. His music stands on its own. And I never really thought of Adele in the same way as Ed, but just seeing... How the crowd responded to her, I guess it is. I mean, she has a very, very strong voice. Her vocals are great. She does write really personal songs that I think a lot of people relate to. And I'm sure that she put a lot of thought into this tour and had a good feeling that people would still enjoy it if it was more stripped down. And in her case, I think it did work. And like you said, I think that would also work for Taylor. But I think Taylor really enjoys the performance aspect of it well and again that kind of is like what i was saying before it's something she does because she wants to and that's what makes the performances so great right another point that the author makes that has changed over the past 10 years is that the two-year album cycle has become more of an industry standard i guess back in 2006 the typical country act would release an album on average, every year or year and a half. And obviously, we all know that 
Taylor has followed a very strict 24-month or two-year cycle uh, ever since she started, and I think it has really worked out well for her. Uh, in my opinion, if Taylor was releasing an album every year or year and a half, of course, as big fans, we would enjoy it, but at the same time, I feel like that's overkill and would be too much. So I think the formula that she has found has pretty much been perfect. And I think it's interesting to think when she was a teenager and was releasing her debut album and then her sophomore album, I'm sure she figured it out because it just came naturally and that's how long it took her to finish Fearless. But it's always interesting when I think about how perfectly that worked out because I'm sure she was afraid people would think it was too much of a time lag, especially with all the other artists just cranking out new music. She probably had some concerns, but it worked out so beautifully and fans don't get tired of her. They miss her and they look forward to the 24 month cycle. Yeah. And we're pretty much at that point now, I would say it has been about 21 months since 1989 was released. So as we've talked about many, many times, we will see if she continues that cycle. And I think the last point was one of my favorites. The author just explains that leaving the country music genre no longer carries the stigma that it once did. The author just explains that country radio in the past would turn its back on artists who left the format. But here, Taylor made, I think, a gradual switch. I think you could see the progression throughout each album, and then you have Red, and then to go from Red to 1989, it wasn't like a sudden huge change for her. And Taylor was very forthcoming about the fact that she was making a pop album. She was very thankful to the country music genre. A perfect example is when she was at the ACMs and she gave the speech when Andrea presented her with the award. And she said that, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, the way you really know somebody is when you see how he or she reacts to news that's not necessarily good. And she just explained that the country music format embraced her move to pop radio. The author also notes that if Taylor ever tried to return to country, the door would likely be wide open for her. Which I agree. I don't think now is the time for Taylor to return to country, but I think maybe sometime in the distant future it could be something that would happen yeah and i liked how around that time like other country artists even talked about how you know with her move that they would be there for her if she um, were to return yeah i think that's key all the other artists in country music just love taylor and support her when you think back about the time when 1989 was being released country music artists from all over the place made statements about how much they loved this change and they were very supportive of Taylor. And several of the biggest stars in country even showed up on the 1989 tour. Keith Urban, Derek Bentley, Miranda. Exactly. Well, if you guys would like to go read this full article, you can find it on Billboard. Once again, the author was Tom Rowland and it was from July 7th. And the title of the article is Love Story, The Impact of Taylor Swift's First Decade in Music. We do have a few reminders for you guys before we go. 
please press the subscribe button on iTunes and it will download the latest episode for you automatically. Also, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes. It helps other Taylor fans find our podcast and get out to more listeners. And of course, we would love hearing any feedback or suggestions from you. There are multiple ways that you can reach us. On Twitter, we are at SwiftCast13. On Tumblr, we are SwiftCast13. On Instagram, we are the SwiftCast13. On Facebook, we are the SwiftCast. And you can always email us at theswiftcast13 at gmail.com. And finally, you can visit our website, which is swiftcast13.com, and find all of our episodes there as well. So to wrap up this episode, what do you guys think Taylor will do next week? Well, I have a bold prediction for the future, not necessarily for this week. Okay. I had a dream the other night, and I it's always funny when you dream about Taylor things and how specific things can get in Taylor-related dreams. But I had a dream that album number six was announced on August 22nd, and that was in my dream. So I'm predicting that on August 22nd, the sixth album will be announced. I'm so ready for it, but in a way, it doesn't even feel like two years have passed since the last announcement. It really does not feel like it's been two years already. But 1989 was announced on August 18th, which was a Monday. And somehow in my dream, August 22nd is a Monday. Taylor dreams are very weird. If you have Taylor dreams, you should let us know about them because I find them fascinating. And Steph, along with the album announcement, was there a new single or no? Uh, it's hard to remember that part, but... I think there was. We want the title, the cover art, <laughs> all of the lyrics. <laughs> that, I, I didn't get any of that in my dream. But Taylor announced it, and for whatever reason, the date was very vivid in the dream. And Taylor, after announcing the album, went and met a ton of fans and took selfies with them and probably invited them to her house after. Sounds likely. <laughs> Well, I think that since Taylor is currently in Australia, and I know she has in the past posted funny Instagram pictures and videos with different animals, that she'll find an animal like a kangaroo or go to a zoo and take some funny pictures with some animals there. Similar to what I was going to say, I think that we'll get a picture she'll post that will be sent to her of how the cats are doing while she's away. She probably misses them. Um, well, we know that iHeart Music Festival usually announces their lineup um, around this time at some point this month. And I really hope that Taylor is going to be added to the lineup or will be the top performer on the lineup. If they don't announce it, I hope maybe she'll announce it. That would be a big clue. She's always been announced in the very first day that they sell tickets, but... Because of the way things have been going, I could also see her being a surprise addition later. That's true. I could see that happening. And is this the iHeart Radio Festival in Los Angeles in the fall? Las Vegas. Oh, Las Vegas. Okay. And every year, I guess since Red, right? She's been the top performer when she's released an album. Yeah, and Ashley and I went last time and danced to Shake It Off, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Well, I hope that happens. That would be great. 
Fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope all of our predictions come true, but we will see in the coming weeks. But for now, thank you guys for listening, and we will see you on next week's episode. This has been episode 162 of SwiftCast, and this was Adam. Ashley. Steph. And Ashley. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of SwiftCast. Visit us on the web at theswiftcast.com. SwiftCast is not directly affiliated with Taylor Swift, Big Machine Label Group, or 13 Management.